Hello, and welcome to AOL Church, a place to connect. This is where we gather together common people and equip them to live connected lives. AOL Church exists to connect with God, connect with people, and ultimately connect people with God. Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. Now, let's listen in on this week's sermon. Mark chapter 11 verse 15 begins by saying this, and they came to Jerusalem, and we need to understand that Jerusalem is the epic center. That's where everything takes place. That's where everything evolved from. That's where it all broke out. That's where it all began. So they, and they came to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught saying unto them, is it not written my house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer? But ye have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him. For they feared him because all the people was astonished at his doctrine. And when even was come, he went out of the city. I just want to take a few moments this Sunday morning and minister on the thoughts of the thieves of prayer the thieves of prayer God wants to do something in this house he wants to do something right now if you're here you have a need that you need God to meet I challenge you hallelujah to believe that God can do anything for anybody at any time and he can do it right now If you have a need in your body, if there's a sickness in your body, or maybe you're praying for somebody that has a sickness right now, would you lift your hands and lift your voice in this sanctuary, and would you begin to call on the name of Jesus, everyone watching online, if there's something that you need, if there is something that God has promised you, if there's a sickness in your family, or if there's sickness on you, would you lift up your voice? with us right now and call on the name of Jesus. Lord God, these are your people, Lord. We're praying in the authority of the name of Jesus. Lord God, touch in the name of Jesus. Minister, Lord, divine healing right now. God, in the name of Jesus, by the power and the authority of your name and by the power and the authority of your word, God, let there be a complete healing. Let there be a complete deliverance. In the name of the Lord. I feel your presence in this house. I feel the glory of God in this place. And wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. I wish someone right now 
No matter what anybody else is doing, no matter what anybody else thinks, no matter how anybody else feels, I wish someone would just step into the liberty of the presence of God right now, hallelujah, and do exactly what God is instructing you to do. If it's praise Him, praise Him. If it's worship, worship Him. If it's prayer, pray right now. I'm telling you. Hallelujah. Before we get started on this, let me just tell you what I feel or what has happened. Brother Cunningham preached first on Friday night. Brother Mallory preached second. I closed it and preached on Friday night. Yesterday, Brother Cunningham opened. I preached after Brother Cunningham. Brother Mallory closed it out. I do not discount or think it's anything that is a small, even a small gesture. But at a point in Brother Mallory's message, he turned around, he asked me, what do you think is the population of Lynchburg? And I just had to take a guess. I said 100,000, 150. And actually, when we looked it up, not just Lynchburg, but the surrounding of Lynchburg is almost 260. So Brother Mallory came over to me laid his hands on me and said, in the name of Jesus, God's going to give you a tithe of 15,000. I don't know if you can understand that or you can receive that or you can even believe that, but I'm telling you, I never counted a small thing when a man of God is instructed by God and lay hands and speaks what thus saith God. I receive it in the name of Jesus. I receive it in the name of Jesus. I believe it in the name of the Lord. And that's just a tithe. Hallelujah. Turn to somebody before you're seated and tell them that's just a tithe. And if that's hard for you to believe, then this will be way hard for you to believe is that if we cannot even believe for a tithe 
then the reality is that leaves 90%, Sister Colette, that would not be saved just in this city alone. Because a tithe is 10%, 15,000. I'm telling you, God is wanting us to think outside our natural mind. I don't know how you feel, but I'm not even satisfied with 90% not being touched, not being, not being saved. I'm, I'm going to say this again, and you can be seated. We are on the prefaces. We are on the very threshold of God doing something so miraculous, so powerful in the name of Jesus. Praise God. You may be seated. The text that we have read is an account of the second cleansing of the temple. Three years has now passed since the first temple cleansing that is recorded in John, the second chapter. And I'll just read it very briefly for you. Because the first cleansing says, after this, he went down to Capernaum, he, his mother, his brethren, his disciples, and they continued there not many days. And the Jewish, and the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the, overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it is written, The zeal of thy house hath eaten me up. When you make a comparison between the first temple cleansing and the second temple cleansing, it appears that a huge progression had come about because in John, the second chapter that we just read, one finds that the Lord simply is saying that the temple has been turned into a house of merchandise. But what did not stay cleansed had deteriorated into now a den of thieves. Because once God comes and delivers you, and once God comes and takes out of you, and once God comes and cleanses you, and you do not maintain what God has done for you in your life, the vessel 
becomes or the vessel begins to deteriorate. How can you say that? Because think of what, however you want to think or however you believe. But I believe at this one particular time that Judas was not just some evil person. I believe that Judas, in the inner circle of Jesus, at, the, at, at a time, Jesus loved him. I believe they had a great relationship. I believe that he was sincere. But the Bible says when Satan entered into him, it changed him. It started to deteriorate him. And we've got to make sure we maintain our vessel, that it's cleansed. If not, it will deteriorate. It will allow things in you don't want to come in. It will allow things to come in that will change. It only took three short years for this to happen. And when the Lord walked in the temple on both of these days, he determined to clean it up. Because wherever God goes and there's a mess, God will be determined to clean it up. I don't care how bad it is. I don't care how long it's take, taking you to get there. I don't care how severe it is. I don't care how deep it is. I don't care how bad you think that it is that you may never get back to where you used to be. When God walks in to something that has been messed up, it is his determination to clean it up. I want somebody to understand today, you will never be too far away from God that he cannot bring you back. You can never get so far away from him that God cannot clean up the mess. He walked into that littered court and began to see cages of animals in disarray. There was something that was in him that began to well up inside of him. He could hear the bleeding of the sheep. He could hear the cry of the doves. He saw the oxen working the cud in their mouth. He heard the rattling of money being swept off the table into bags. He could breathe in the foul odors of the animal droppings that were inside the temple. He watched as shrewd money changers cheated worshipers one after another. He then saw hallelujah, and all the haggling and cheating and an irreverence that was happening. Then he saw hallelujah, that something that would help him clean out the temple. And I'm telling you, all of this description is describing the condition of the temple. He saw something that was going to help him. Clean out the temple, a broken tether and a lost rope. And he began to weave them together in a form of a whip. And then he assailed the money changers and began the cleansing of the temple. In the first year, I want you to understand, or in the first cleansing of the temple, he, he, and he walked in, he cleansed it from everything that was in it. The second year, or the second time he walked in, three years after he did the same thing he cleansed the temple 
The second cleansing was marked by the gathering of his anger. And Jesus watched the steady mounting of rebellion and his visits to the temple. It wasn't something that happened overnight. It was not an overnight thing where the animals had showed up for the inflated market price that they were selling them. It was not something that they just did on just one occasion. Jesus watched it as it began to happen and it began to take place. Hallelujah. Week after week after week. It was a period of time. It is the gradual that gets far more than the sudden change. It's the gradual things that we allow to come in our life, hallelujah, that do more damage than just the sudden, hallelujah, mess up in your life. It is the gradual things that takes place, and Jesus is watching this happen week after week as he goes into the temple. But when prayer is forced out, the temple will get desecrated. When prayer is forced out, hallelujah, there's things that are going to get messed up. When prayer is forced out, this is the way that it is in our walk with God. In the first cleansing, it is not effective. There will be a dangerous demise of sacred things in your life. If leaven is left long enough, it influences or escalates everything else that's in your life. That is why it is imperative for us to get rid of the thieves that rob us of our life and of our prayer life. Oh, my God. I know you're not going to shout on this message. I'm not waiting for your shout. I'm not waiting for you to get excited. I'm telling you today, you cannot market your sacrifice a prayer. You cannot barter with your hunger for holiness. You cannot trade your offerings of righteousness. You cannot sell your devotion of faithfulness. You cannot purchase a passion for souls. You cannot buy the desire that will alter the world that you're living in. These things will only be attained and nurtured by a, by a persistent devotion of prayer. Our American lifestyle has terribly injured our prayers. And that's why I don't complain about 2020. And that's why I don't discount 2020. Because I believe that it's not something that was just a waste of a year. I believe it was God's plan, God's strategy, and God's destiny for the church to get back to the place of prayer. I believe that it was God's divine instruction. We have greedily gone after the error of Balaam with the pursuit of money. Somewhere in our perception, we have decided that spiritual things can be bought and sold in the place of the temples of our heart. Mm -hmm. 
No generation has lived that has the resources that we are that are available to us to buy in this point in history. We have books, we've got CDs, we've got DVDs, we've got study guides, we've got study Bibles, we've got social media, we've got the internet. You've got it all at your fingertips. Devotions and nothing is more. These things that we have at our fingertips, all this technology, hear me tonight, today, is nothing but junk food when you compare it to a heaven-shaking, earth-rattling prayer of a child of the living God. I wish I had somebody that really believed that. Hallelujah. There is nothing more powerful than a praying saint of God. There's nothing more powerful than your prayers. You're not going to like it today, but that's all right. The purchase of these resources at the expense of substituting our prayer is causing the church to pay a huge toll in other areas of life. One needs to go no further than just to casually glance at some of the trends in Christianity to see that the landscape is totally changing. What does that mean? The cry from the church seems to be for revival. The cry from the church seems to be for revival. The cry is coming from saints. The cry is coming from spiritual leaders. For uh, in every church, there is a cry for revival. However, the disconnect very well could be that we are looking in the wrong places. Revival is purchased through programs. Revival is chased after in seminars. Revival is studied in books. Revival is being trained uh, through uh, social media. Revival is being collated on, on, on our social resources that we have. But has anybody decided to ask God in the deep places of prayer, God, we want revival. Has it crossed anybody's mind that these thieves have taken away the power of prayer from us? I hope somebody hears me today. This is the time where we must entirely devote ourselves again to the ministry of prayer and the struggle of intercession. Nothing's ever going to happen if we're not praying. Nothing's ever going to happen if we're not in intercession. Don't let the enemy rob from you. Yeah. 
You will notice that this is what the early church did. I can go through it. You tell me when you had enough, I'll stop. Acts chapter 1, 14. These all continue with one accord in prayer and supplication. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they continue steadfastly in prayer. Acts 3, chapter 1, verse 1. And Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken. Acts chapter 6, verse 4. But when we give ourselves, continue to prayer. Acts 11 and 5. I was in the city of Joppa praying. Acts chapter 12 and 5. Prayer was made without ceasing of the church. Acts 12 and 12. Where many were gathered together praying. Acts chapter 13 and 3. And when they had fasted and prayed. Acts 16 and 16. As we went to prayer. It all happened because of prayer. And the early church made such an emphasis on prayer and evangelism. Then consider this question, if you will. Is it really a comfort to know that the recent converts or those that may be coming will become just like us? What if they are as lazy and self-excusing in the matter of personal devotion to Jesus and active engagement in soul winning as the rest of our listed church members? Is that thrilling thought or is that a spine-chilling one? How much longer will the thieves rob us of our prayers? How much longer will the thieves rob us of true apostolic revival? It's not just going to happen. It's not just going to walk through the doors. When we restore our church, and may I go a little bit further, when we restore our churches and our lives to be a house of prayer instead of a den of thieves, I realize today, and I'll preach to these that are watching online, I realize that these are some edgy points to be tackled in our soft age. But, the, but there is a heightening desperation. Not just in my spirit, but in several that are really apostolic revivalists. That hungers for prayer to be restored. Because I believe whatever we pray, and we pray it with earnest hearts, and we pray it with sincerity, I believe that God hears it. And I believe that God acts on it. And I believe that God manifests it in the name of Jesus. This is something you need to make sure you get into your understanding. You will notice that with both temple cleansing, the first and then the second, that each were preceded with cursings. Each were cursings for emptiness. The empty wine vessels which were at the marriage and the barren fig tree that were both symbols of emptiness, but both had promise 
but no performance. We cannot be a church that's so full of promise, but no performance. The first curse wasn't so avert, but it was still a curse. The wine had been consumed at the wedding, the feast of Canaan, Cana, and then the curse of the empty vessels now faced the Lord. And when he was faced with the emptiness of the vessel and known that the wine had run out, he performed a miracle. That's the first. The second curse was drastically different. The Lord found a fig tree that was full of leaves but held no fruit. And he cursed the fig tree and it withered away and was dead the very next morning. Before the first cleansing, he healed. Before the second cleansing, he cursed. The first sign of emptiness received grace. Oh my gosh. The second sign of emptiness received judgment. The first sign of emptiness was filled with wine. The second sign of emptiness was cursed to remain barren. The first sign of emptiness was because of limited resources. The second sign of emptiness was because of limited maturity. The only remedy, understand me today, the only remedy for emptiness in our lives is a full restoration of prayer as it never has never been before. God is calling us to a place of prayer that we have never been before. God is calling us to places that we have never been before, but we cannot make it and we will not get there without somebody understanding I've got to be a house of prayer and not a den of thieves. If the house of prayer has been turned into a den of thieves, then who are the thieves that have stolen the holy sacred gathering of prayer. Some of the thieves are so subtle that we have almost lost our ability to recognize them, but other thieves have been so bold and so daring that we almost hesitate to challenge them. Oh my gosh. The priest of the Lord's time had followed the similar suit because if we go back and research of Hophni and Aphinius, the sons of Eli, they had taken in of robbing those who came to worship. Hello? Now, the, then we find that Caiaphas and his cohorts had found a way to make huge profits off the worshipers who came to the temple. Some historians estimate that the high priest and his henchmen were actually charging as much as 10 times the normal worth a sacrifice to these unexpecting travelers. What does that mean? That means this, they were saying this, don't worry with bringing your sacrifice with you. 
to the temple. We have something that you can buy when you get there. Oh, you didn't hear me. Don't worry about bringing any sacrifice to the temple. When you get there, we'll do all the singing for you. We'll do all the praising for you. We'll do all the worshiping for you. We'll do all the preaching for you. We'll do everything that you need. All you've got to do is come in and purchase. What does that mean? Convenience will always be the enemy of sacrifice. Convenience is a thief of prayer. But one would also have to consider the fact that the priests were not the only ones to blame. Hello? You thought I was going to leave you there. And you thought you were off the hook. The priests are not the only one to blame. The sacrifice was a responsibility of the people that were coming to worship. Too many have sold out their devotion to the ploy of convenience. When I get there, hallelujah, and I walk into AOL, I know the presence of God's going to be there. When I come in there, I don't got to worship. There's going to be other worshipers in there, and I'll be able to feel the power of God. I don't have to pray all week because I know when I get there, hallelujah, the Lord's going to prompt me to pray. It is the convenience that is robbing us of our prayer. It's quiet, but I like it that way. Evil's not always negative. When we are approached without or within, out in the field. What does that mean? The catch of the convenience or, or the hook of it is that evil may actually turn out to be good. What does that mean? This is always the great deceit or deception that accompanies the temptation of convenience. Sometimes the temptation towards convenience are not punishments, but rather they are cloaked as discoveries or opportunities or a vision of greatness. Temptation is a call from a hellish world, but it never comes to the ear as a shrieking scream of a, of a, a horrific horror. What does that mean today, Pastor? It means that you, there's some people that can hear a, a, a word uh, from hell easier than they can hear a word from heaven. Rather, it is one man that wrote, I believe the devil's voice sinks deeper in our ear than any voice from heaven. However, it's so sweet and so clear. It does not matter. Hey, we have come to the age and to a generation where you can hear better from hell than you can hear from heaven. But I'm telling you, there is a cry from the throne of God. There are things that God wants you to cry out in prayer because God has them set up for you. There are things that God has positioned for you and in your life. And he said, if you'll just pray, if you'll just pray, if you'll just pray, if you'll just pray. There's nothing, tell somebody, there's nothing about convenience. 
that is even remotely related to sacrifice. I have to confess, I tolerate so much in the lack of my prayer because I believe that I can pray better and I can pray more than what I'm praying now because of convenience. We don't need to pray so much anymore. Our music is great. We don't really need to pray anymore. Our praise team is awesome. We don't need to pray so much anymore because we've got a great building to come to and we've got great people that love God and we've got an atmosphere that God comes into all the time and we don't need to pray so much anymore. Our finances are blessed. We don't need to pray so much anymore. Our needs are being met. We don't need to pray so much anymore. Our sacrifice has given in to convenience. Convenient substitutes for prayer will destroy what God has in store for you in your life. Hear me today. Convenient substitutes for prayer will destroy what God has for you or in store for you in your life. There are some people that are going to miss out on the miracles of God that he has stored up for you in your life simply because they've let convenience come into their life and they have missed what God has for them. It will destroy your passion for purity. What does that mean? It will destroy your passion for holiness. It will make you start. It will make your perception, hallelujah, not like it, it, that it used to be. It will obscure your perception of the Word of God, and it will destroy your purity of mind, your purity of heart, your purity of spirit. Oh, I'm not going to get anything. It will destroy your passion for worship. What does that mean? Relationship. When we come in here and worship God, it's not about just a movement. It's not a just about hallelujah, about the song that's being played. It's not about just making noise. But your worship unto God is really a relationship unto Him. It will destroy your passion for the prophetic. What does that mean? It will destroy your passion for the power of God, the power of the Word, the power of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. That's why God longs for His church to be a praying church. I said, That's why God longs for His church to be a praying church. That's why we did not cancel prayer during pandemic. That's why we didn't excuse it and say, you know what, hallelujah, since we can't meet, we might as well just take it off the calendar, take it off the schedule. No, we said, you know what, we'll do it by social media. We'll do it, hallelujah, and we'll come together on a Tuesday night and we'll pray. Why? God wants a praying church. 
If we can't get on this, if we can't get by this, if we don't understand this, forget about what God is saying that he's going to do. Forget about all the promises. Forget about all the prophecies. Forget about all the miracles. If you are not sold out to being a praying church, forget about it. We have got to be a praying church. That's how we reach heaven. That's how we get in contact with God. We've got to be a praying church. If the first thief is convenience, then the second thief is busyness. The classic illustration of this barrenness of busyness is when we find Martha. And you know the story of Martha because it begins in Luke in chapter 10 and says, but Martha was uh, uh, cumbered about with much serving and came to him and said, Lord, doest thou not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? And bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary has chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Martha was so busy with the necessary things and and the pressing things of life that she missed what Mary was gathering, the wisdom of the ages. What was it that caused Martha to become so busy about serving? They were noble things. They're not things that are bad. Martha was serving the crowd. Martha was supervising those that were helping her. Martha was involved with the extraordinary because God was coming to her house. Martha was putting her spirit into something lasting, But with all of that busyness, Martha was trading off some crucial things. Martha's busyness was giving away an opportunity that time would forever seal. Martha's busyness was missing something that could never be regained. My gosh. Martha's busyness was robbing her of her reverence for the Lord. Martha's busyness was creating a deadly self-reliance, self-sufficiency of her own abilities. Martha's busyness was building into her spirit a habit of serving rather than seeking. Sometimes the most able spiritual people find themselves so spiritually undernourished because of their constant attention to serving others. We must give ourselves to prayer. It is not that we're not supposed to serve each other. It's not supposed, it's not that we don't wait on each other. That is what we do. That is that we help each other. But if it it becomes the main thing in your life and you push prayer all the way back to the list, you're missing out because prayer, hallelujah, must be given, hallelujah, attention 
in our life. Prayer is often so difficult. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because prayer is difficult. You don't want to pray. Can I be real today? Can I, can I get somebody that's real? You don't want to pray. You've got to make yourself pray. You've got to force this nasty flesh to pray. Prayer is so difficult, especially for those that are in the fast lane. Understand this. It's difficult for people that are got a mind of God. It's difficult for people that are even sold out. But people that are so occupied with other things, it's almost impossible. Prayer is unnatural. And I'll say it again. Prayer is unnatural to Americans who are driven to success. The challenge is because we are so busy doing instead of being. We will never have the revival that God has promised for us just doing church until we, are, until we come to the place that we are being the church. I'll just put it down like I, like I think the Lord wants it. We can read all the prayer prayers of the Bible. We can gather material for Bible studies on prayer. We can go to prayer seminars. We can read devotional on prayers. We can listen to others preach and teach on prayers. But until we actually pray, until we actually get to the place that we pray, we are falling short of what God longs for us to have in our life. Can I just make it plain? And it's not a shouting message, but we're falling short of what God has for us in our life, in our church, in our relationships. So if the first thief of prayer is convenience and the second thief of prayer is busyness, then the third thief of prayer is apathy. Why get so worked up about prayer? Why allow yourself to get so pressured about prayer? Why do we just let things go as they are? Why should our church be so challenged to pray? Because the Bible says you cannot serve two masters. There's too many people in the church that's trying to serve two masters. There's too many people that want to be like the world and still enjoy the benefits of the church. <laughs> Pastor, aren't the bills being paid? Yes. Pastor, are the lights still on? Yes. Pastor, are the doors still open? And can I tell you, there are some churches that have still not had service. 
There are some churches that have remained closed for 2020 and still has not opened their doors. We should be so privileged and we should be so blessed to understand we get the opportunity to come into the house of God. Pastor, why don't you just preach one of those faith messages that you always preach? Pastor, why don't you just preach one of those blessings of God and, and, and what God's going to do? And why don't you just preach one of those uh, uh, faith-rising messages? Why are you trying to stir things up so much around here about prayer? Because if we do not pray, it's not going to happen we do not get a hold of what God wants us to do here and now. This is the curse of the quiet life. This is the curse of the muted Christian. This is the curse of all the drugs that Americans are eating like candy. Xanax for my anxiety, Prozac for my depression, this for my feelings, this so I can sleep, Lord tab for my pain, this for what's going on in my mind. All of these medicines may be good when you need them, but their goal is to knock the emotional crutches that pain has on us. There must be a holy anxiety that returns to us concerning the coming of the Lord. There's got to be something that's going to get a hold of us. What are you talking about, Pastor? I don't understand what you're saying. I'm saying this. If you could take a drug and a medicine just because you've got hay fever or because the pollen that is coming out, it makes you uncomfortable. But when you take that drug, it takes away all the symptoms or you have to take this type of medicine because you've got this sickness and you take it because you understand that it's gonna take away either the pain or all the symptoms, but we cannot get as addicted to prayer as we are to the medicines that are over the counter and under Understand, prayer can do more than what we. Our time is running out. Our time is short. The Lord is coming. What are we waiting for? What do we got things on reserve for? There must be. There must be a holy depression that puts us in a place of intercession. There must be a holy uneasiness about the condition of those that are around us. There must be a holy insomnia to burden us for revival and spiritual power. There must be a holy pain that troubles us to the point of crying out to God. I have to turn off my mind. I have to turn off my spirit. I have to turn myself off 
Because if I don't, I will never sleep understanding how many people are going to go to an eternal hell all because of my convenience. In apostolic encounter when Brother Cunningham was actually speaking the word of faith. The Lord showed me something and I was going to tell him, but he said, no, just hold it to yourself. Time's not right. I saw when he's speaking the word of faith and people in that congregation, 400 people hungry, thirsting after God. God showed me prison doors being open, but not just being open, but I'm being swung open and slamming against the wall. I saw people not walking out of prisons, but running in full sprints. I saw people crawling over the wall in mobs, crawling over the wall of barriers that have kept them in isolation and have kept them hostage. I've seen people break out of prisons and they were just running as fast as they can. And God said, this is what's happening in the spiritual realm. I'm loosening things in the spiritual realm. There are people that are so hungry. It's not a casual coming out. He said it's a frantic coming out. There's so many people that are bound. There's so many people that are held hostage. As soon as the doors open, they're running for their lives. And my church is taking the approach of a lukewarm conveniency. He said, I want you to see this because I want you to understand what's coming to you. There is such a great revival that's breaking out. There is such a great revival of mass of people that are breaking out, running over the wall. They're running and they're wanting to know, is there anybody that's in touch? Is there anybody that's sensitive? Is there a church that is in prayer? Is there a church that is crying out? Is there a church, hallelujah, that's desiring revival? I don't know how you feel about it today, and I can't change how you feel, but your pastor has come to tell you, I don't care what I gotta do. I don't care where I've gotta be. I've got to be a part of what is happening. I've got to be a part of what's taking place. God is God is showing and calling us. There's such a revival coming. It's greater than what you think. There's such a revival coming. It's bigger than what you can imagine. There's such a revival coming. My gosh. God said, I'm getting ready to turn things around. And if you cannot comprehend it, you might miss what God's doing. God said, hallelujah, you're struggling with the 15,000. He said, but there's already a church that's in Lynchburg that's already boasts that much. He said, and you don't think that I can do something more with somebody that's really 
I'm sorry to tell you today, our generation is apathetic about prayer. In fact, the greatest question in this generation seems to be, why doesn't God answer our prayer? Instead of, how can I improve my prayer? How can I get deeper in prayer? How can I get more in touch with God? Oh, I feel it in this house. One of the reasons that prayer is not often answered is because it's not often prayed. And what is prayed is greatly lacking. Oh my gosh. If you really believed, hallelujah, Brother Raphael, if we really believed that God was going to give us, hallelujah, a tithe of, of what is in this city, we would pray, hallelujah, greater than what we're praying now. If we really believed that God was going to do what he said he's going to do, we would be praying and worshiping and praising God more than we've ever have. You got to understand, you walk around daily with a miracle inside you. You walk around every day with the presence of God in you. What does that mean, Pastor? That means the Spirit comes out so vividly in prayer. You do prayer. When you begin to pray, hallelujah, that miracle, that power that's in you comes out so vividly in prayer. I could ask today, how many of this in this place have asked for a blessing? How many of this in this place have ever asked God for a miracle? My question to you today is this. Why not ask him for a far greater one? We want more Christians of the type of, uh, of, of like the, uh, uh, the widow woman. I'm going to touch the hem of his garment. And I don't care what I've got to do. I'm going to get a hold of God. I don't care who i got to go through. If i got to crawl on my hands and knees, I'm going to get my answer from the Lord. <laughs> We've got to become like Jacob. We've got to wrestle all night until I get the blessing that I want from the Lord. <laughs> We've got praying people in this house. Don't get me wrong. Don't walk out of here thinking that pastor just bashing. We've got praying people. I know that. But thou should have prayed and we should pray so much more. What blessings are we waiting? 
What treasures are in the hand of God that we have not received as yet? Can I tell you today? He's waiting for a man. He's waiting for a woman. He's waiting for a young person. He's waiting for a teenager who can bend to their knee and stay at the mercy seat until they win, hallelujah, the favor of God. <laughs> Jesus, 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 Jesus. Hear me today. This sort of spirit is illustrated to us in 2 Kings in 13, where Elisha directs Joash to strike the ground with arrows. Joash is so apathetic about this situation. He just simply goes through the motions. He just simply says, okay, I'll just obey what you said. But if he really got into the spirit of the Lord, he would have struck it, hallelujah, until his enemy was totally destroyed. I'm asking, is there a church in this place today that understands the direction of God? Would you please, hallelujah, get in to the place of prayer that God is instructing us? And if you will, and you'll smite the arrow, if you will, and you'll smite the generation, and if you will, and you smite the city, and if you will, and you smite the family, you will have a total hallelujah victory <laughs> can I tell you great victory for the nation of Israel could have been secured through Joash had he had been more passionate about what he was doing I dare you I dare you today I dare this church you should secure the complete victory and the complete revival for ALL if you would be more passionate about what God's saying he's going to do I challenge you, I dare you that some of the difficult situations in your life could be changed right now if you would throw off the apathy of your spirit and passionately begin to seek God in prayer right now. I guarantee you things could change in your life right now if you throw your hands up and throw your voice up unto God and God would say, hallelujah, because you're not just going through the motions. 
I challenge you today, the destiny of this church could change right here on this Sunday morning if somebody would just passionately pray, God, give us revival. God, give us revival. God, give us revival. There has to be, there has to be, there has to be a resurrection of the gnawing divine disconnect that used to push us into places of prayer. Things would break, things would come down, things would crumble, enemies would be dis demolished if we would just do what God has called us to do with such a passion, with such a belief, uh, with such a revelation. Instead of our suffering escalating, there would be, hallelujah, victory escalating. Instead of our, hallelujah, our sicknesses escalating, there would be healing escalating. Instead of things, hallelujah, falling short, you would be amazed what God would do. Pastor, what if it doesn't happen? Pastor, what if it doesn't come to pass? Pastor, what if it does? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What if it we I, I rebuke. Hallelujah. I rebuke that humanistic carnal scrutiny. I rebuke the enemy that's trying to convince you. You better not pray. You better not pray like that. You better not get a hold of it like that. You better not get a hold of the horns of the altar like that. I rebuke it in the name of Jesus. It's trying to stop you from your miracles trying to stop this church from its destiny revival there must be a return of passion to our prayer The Bible says the only time that Jesus was really grieved and broken in his spirit and his heart is when he came as, as a great visitation unto his people and they rejected him and he walked out of the city of Jerusalem with tears and his grief was over their souls and their blindness. I don't know how you feel out today. I do not want him leaving here grieved. I do not want him leaving here brokenhearted. I do not want him leaving here. God, call us back to a place of passionate prayer. Call us back to a place, Lord God.
if my people, if my people, it's on you, it's on me, if my people, it's not on God, if my people who are called by my name, not who will call on my name, but those who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Jesus, help us, God. We want to see the land healed. Help us, God. We want to see every word, Lord God, you spoke to come to pass. Help us, God. We want to see, Lord God, backsliders, sons and daughters come back, Lord God, into the house of the Lord. Help us, Lord God. Lord God, the harvest that is coming, the harvest that's approaching. Help us, God. I'm not going any further. <laughs> if you have not already found a place, would you find a place of prayer very quickly in the name of Jesus? Lord God, move on us. Move on your people right now in the name of Jesus. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you are. I don't care what, where you've been. I don't care what's happening in your life. I don't care anything about that. But if you will right now get to the place of prayer, get to the place and call on the name of Jesus, something's going to happen. Come on in the name of Jesus. Cry out in the name of the Lord. Cry Come on, there's something that has got to leave this place. Hallelujah, before we walk out of the house of God. The priest felt like we are really doing it right by filling this temple. Hallelujah. It's what you fill the temple with. They filled it with animals. They brought them to, to buy and sell of a form of worship. There's some things that God to leave the temple today it's not about it just being full it's got to be about what are we filling it with come on somebody I feel you right now. If we allow hypocrisy to live long enough in the temple, it will take over. If we allow apathy to live long enough in the temple, it will take over. If we allow convenience long enough hallelujah, to live in the temple, it will take over.
What are you saying, Pastor? Sometimes we come to worship and pray with hearts that are far from God and far from the holy things of God. Sometimes we come and we sit in our seat and we allow our minds to become busy with the material world. Sometimes we come and sing, but the tunes hallelujah, are tarnished with our pride, our jealousy, hallelujah, our changing attitudes, our emotions, the things that we're dealing with. Hallelujah. We give our tithes and our offerings. But if we allow our spirits to be, uh, to, to be, uh, uh, we allow our spirits to be contaminated. We listen to the word of God. And pollute and desecrate our spirit because we're here and we've got envy and we've got malice and we've got anger and we've got wrath and we've got jealousy and we've got things that are in our heart. Hallelujah, God. Jesus, hallelujah. My God, my Lord, my Savior. Come on. Balaam, a prophet who had no values. Judas, an apostle who had no conscience. Saul, a king who had no spiritual royalty. Pastor, I don't know what to say. You need to allow the spirit of intercession to get a hold of you. Prayer is the greatest need of this hour and of this church. Our lives and our prayers must be marked by holiness of mind, holiness of heart, holiness of lifestyle. The greatest need for the church today is, Lord God, prayer. When sports arenas take the place of prayer, where, where games, hallelujah, take the place of prayer, where social media takes the place of prayer, it's robbing us. When Hollywood fills our mind more than holiness, it's robbing us. 